Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for how beautiful he is and how beautiful the, the sacrifice that he made for us is. God, may, may we look upon his beauty. And God, as we come here today, may we seek to worship him, the beautiful one. God, so may the words spoken today cause us to look at Jesus. May the songs we sing today cause us to look at Jesus. May the bread and the juice cause us to look at your son. Thank you for this incredible thing that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and, and uh, have a seat, and if you uh, have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians. It's our last week in our study in the book of Ephesians, and we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, going to start uh, in verse 10. And uh, I've, uh, both my grandfathers uh, fought in, in World War II, and much like others in that generation, they don't speak of the stories uh, that took place very often, and understandably so. But, but having been around them and having heard some of the stories from my uncles and aunts, uh, you know, you kind of hear some of these things. And, and specifically, I was thinking of my, my grandpa Kenny, my, my mom's dad, and, and hearing some of the stories that he went through. And he was a, a rear gunner, and on a couple different missions, there was one particular mission when there was, oh, some 30 planes that, that flew and took off, and I think less than 10 of them returned. And he heard another story of, uh, in battle, and, and there was, you know, a plane on, on each side of him, and both of those planes were shot down. And so I, I know that my grandpa knew what it was to be in battle, uh, knew what it was to, to fight a war. And my grandpa Lou, obviously much the same, and many of you know him, and hear some of the same stories about the Silver Star and uh, the Purple Heart, and a guy who knew what it was to be at war and knew what it was to, to fight a battle. And he told me one time, he says, guy, you know, never going to know what it is to stand for something until you've actually fought for something, until you've been a soldier, and you know what you're fighting for, and you know what you're standing for. And I thought those are, those are great words, and great words of encouragement from a guy who's definitely impacted my life. And so for somebody like me, who, whose battles consist on the risk board and nothing really more, you know, it's been something where I've had to, to really think and, and, and pray and know, begin to know what it is and understand what it is to be in battle what it is to be part of a war, right? And, and as we look at Ephesians chapter 6 here, we want to understand that that's what's going on. And whether you know it or not, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we are in a war. We are in a battle. And you can choose to be a part of it or not, but the reality is you are in it as someone who knows Jesus, as someone who has a relationship, as someone who calls themselves a Christian, you're in a battle. You're in a war. And we're going to see that, and we're going to look at that here in Ephesians chapter 6. So let me read for you, starting in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. A couple things we want to look at in the first portion here, really verses 10 through 13. We see we have an enemy, a real enemy, someone who has devices and strategies and a plan to take us down, to wage war against you. And so we want to look at, at, at three things here in the, this first portion, verses 10 through 13. The first one is who, the second one is what, and the third is how. Who, what, and how. So let's go back to verse 12 here. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I love this because Paul reminds he says, you know, your, your battle's not just against the devil, but look at all this. He, he kind of drives the point home. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is who our battle is against. And it's not that our, our battle is not always fought against flesh and blood, but understand it takes the form because of our enemy. And we know there is hatred and, and there is crime and there is racism and all these things exist in our world. Real flesh and blood opposition. But we also know where that comes from. Because that we have an enemy who is the ruler of this world. We have an enemy who seeks to destroy. Who seeks to steal. We have an enemy who is by his name, a liar. And it started all the way back in the garden, right? With Adam and Eve. This is where it began. We don't have an enemy that possessed Adam and Eve. We have an enemy that spoke lies to Adam and Eve. And that enemy, still today, seeks to steal, seeks to destroy, seeks to lie. And he's the king of lies. And where he attacks us is in his lies speaking to our heart. And we're going to look at some of that. But first of all, and the, the first question is who? And we know that who is the devil and his enemy. We, we have a mindset, I think, Western culture and even here in you know, the U.S., where we, we want a natural cause, right? We want a scientific explanation for everything because we want to be able to fix it. We think every problem that there is an explanation for, every problem there is something, okay, here's the solution, we can fix it. And so we understand that, or don't fully understand that this battle is against something we can't necessarily see, right? It's not against flesh and blood. That our enemy is not just in the physical 
form, but our enemy is of the spiritual, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is our enemy. So the question for some of us, and and especially the culture in which we live in, is this can be a struggle. We We can struggle with this idea and this concept of a spiritual enemy, right? Because we want to see something physical. We want to see something tangible. Okay, I know this is evil. I can see it. I can feel it. I can touch it. I can explain it. But we want to understand our enemy is of the spiritual realm. And so we want to challenge ourselves because, yeah, Western mindset may be, uh, you know what, I can explain that or I can explain this or I have a scientific explanation for this. But most of the cultures in the world This is very real, and they understand it. You go to South America, you go to Asia, you go to many cultures in this world, and they very well believe in the spiritual realm. And so we don't want to be culturally narrow in any any regard. We want to understand that as a whole, as a world, and many cultures in this world, this this is a belief that many hold to. But we struggle from our Western mindset to, to wrap our minds around it. So we want to look at that. Second question we want to answer is, you know, do you believe in God? Because having a belief in God is having a belief in that spiritual being, right? A real God who has sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And as you read through the scripture and you read through the life of Jesus, we see we also have a real enemy. And if the Bible's right about this, and we believe the Bible to be true, we believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God, And you won't be able to understand how to defeat darkness in your life. You won't be able to understand how to defeat darkness in your families. And you won't be able to understand how to defeat darkness in our our culture without understanding this truth that we have an enemy, rulers and authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who is our enemy? That's our enemy, right? That is our enemy, and we need to understand that he is real. And on top of that, having a real enemy, the second question we answer is what? What? Verse 11 answers this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Not only do we have an enemy, but we have an enemy who schemes against you. We have an enemy who has devices, who has a plan to attack you. Throw up 2 Corinthians here, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What's going on here? Our enemy, Satan, has a plan. He has a scheme, devices, a plan against you. Our enemy is real, and on top of that, he has a real plan to take you down. He has a real plan to destroy you. He has a plan to seek you out, to steal and destroy. And we need to understand that. See, so much of our problem is we kind of coast through life. I don't know if you're like me, but I do this often. Where things, you know, there's, there's the trials and the temptations are not there. The battles are not there. And I tend to just kind of coast through life. And not prepared for when the devil 
and his schemes and his plans come against me. Because I'm just kind of coasting. I'm kind of just going through the motions, doing my thing, unaware of the battle and the enemy that's taking place. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. C.S. Lewis said this, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. We talked about this, but there, there's a battle. There are some who have no interest and no belief in this spiritual realm and a, and a spiritual enemy. And there's some who really embrace it. And as C.S. Lewis points out and think he's right on, is that both are errors, right? We can have the belief, oh, you know what? If I make a mistake, it's me. This is the world. I blame them. I blame myself and the world. And we can make a mistake and not understand who our enemy is. Or we can turn the other way and say, blame everything on the devil, right? The devil made me do it. It's the devil's fault. And take no personal accountability or responsibility in our action. We know we live in a fallen world. We know we are sinners. We know we make mistakes, but we also know we have an enemy who seeks to destroy, who seeks to steal, who seeks to destroy our, our lives, our friendships, our marriages, seeks to destroy our churches, our kids, our friends, all of those things. Seeks to destroy those things. And as this portion of Scripture here in Ephesians looks to point out, is that we need to have a plan. So when the enemy attacks, and he will, we need to have a plan in place to fight that battle. Never going to know what it is to stand for something unless you've fought, fought for something. Never know what it is to, to fight until you've been a soldier. It, it makes the reference here struggle, and what, it, what it's saying in, in that Scripture, struggle, is it literally means a hand-to-hand -hand battle on the ground. All right, this isn't just some struggle, okay, this is tough, oh, I kind of go both ways, but it depicts the idea of a hand-to-hand -hand battle, right? You see uh, these old movies, you know, when they used to literally, they'd march out in front of each other, and I can't imagine how they would do this, and then they just go at it. I remember watching uh, The Patriot, or whatever the name of the movie is with Mel Gibson, and here they would, they just march to the middle of the battlefield, and there was this, basically this hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so you get this picture of what it looks like, a hand-to-hand -hand battle. All right, This is not me sticking back in the corner hoping to you know, fire a few rounds when I can, but I am literally middle of the battlefield, hand-to-hand -hand battle. And that's the image that Paul's depicting here. He's giving us this idea that you are in a battle. This is real. You are on the front lines, hand-to-hand -hand battle. A struggle, literally meaning hand-to-hand -hand battle. There's a, uh, a book by Thomas Brooks, and Thomas Brooks was an author back in the 1600s, and Thomas Brooks wrote this, this book. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And he says in the book, he says, there's two ways in which the devil lies to you. Two ways. One is temptation, and the second is accusation. And although the book written in the 1600s he has listed out all these things under the temptations and the accusations we receive. And although written in the 1600s, seems dead on still, even today. 
So here are the, the kind of the two ways. And I want you to look, and I want you as we go through these, to see and, and kind of pick out a few that might be real to you. Because remember, we have a real enemy who has a real plan to defeat you, to bring you down. And knowing that plan and knowing how to battle and fight against that plan is where it begins, to have a strategy in place. And so as, as I read these, some of these to me stuck out. You know what? Yes, I know that the enemy battles me. Part of his plan is that. So now how can I have a plan against that battle? So the first one is, is temptation. And basically, temptation gets you to have a high view of yourself, so you go and do things you shouldn't. It basically hides God's holiness. It's this high view of ourself, and we miss God's holiness. And the first uh, on here is it gets you to look at the short-term pleasure and hide the long-term misery, right? The, the pleasures of sin, short-term, but it hides the long-term misery that comes with it. It's kind of the idea, and I, I've been fishing once in my life, so I'm probably the bad, not the right person to give this illustration, but don't you fish and there's bait, right? Is that right? Okay, thanks. <laughs> but what, what is the bait on? Bait on the hook, right? So there's that short term, man, if I can just get that bait. But the hook, the hook is misery, isn't it? And that's what this depicts. This is what the, it shows us, that, yeah, there's short-term pleasure, but the long-term consequences can destroy us. Get you to look at the short-term and hide the long-term misery. Is that true? You felt that in your own life? I, I know that I have. Second one, get you to rationalize your sin as virtue. Rationalize your sin as virtue. We do things in our life, we know our sin, but we justify it in some way. Oh, well, I was helping somebody. Or you know what, I, I'm not going to give because I'm a good steward, right? We justify our sin as virtue. Number three, by showing you sins of other Christians. That's what the enemy will do. He'll show you sins of other Christians, and we begin to justify and ourselves, well, other people have done it, or you know, maybe I'm not so bad because I see other people do that. Four is I deserve this. No one knows how hard I work. I deserve this. Number five, by showing us home, it's supposed to be how many ungodly people are living lives filled with worldly reward. We look around in the world today and we can see people who don't love God, and seemingly by world standards, right? They're blessed or they have much. Although we, as we talked about first week in Ephesians, what true blessing looks like. So we see that. Number six, and the last one I'll give you, although he's got many in there and much more than these, are just six I pulled out. By getting you to compare one part of your life to another. In other words, I'm doing this for the kingdom or I'm doing this or I'm serving God in this way, so you know what, it's okay that I do this or it's okay if I don't do that. And so we justify our actions because other areas of our life reflect godly living. And these are temptations, ways, and schemes in which the devil gets us, tempts us, brings us down, destroys us, steals. So temptations, 
That idea of the high view of yourself and missing the holiness, hiding the holiness of God. The second way that he, Thomas Brooks talks about in his book is accusation. And so where the first, we have a high view of ourself, the second is we have too low and a self-hating view of ourself. And it essentially hides God's love from us. We dwell on the past, we see our sin, but we forget about the love of God. We forget about this picture of what Jesus has done for us, and that we've been forgiven, and that we are a new creation in Christ. And here's four ways in which he does it, by causing us to look more at our sin than our Savior. And so in our life, we dwell on our sin, the things we've done wrong, the ways we've screwed up, instead of looking at Jesus. And in his book, Thomas Brooks says that every one time we look at our sin, we need to look at our Savior five times. Isn't that true? I don't know if you're like me, but how often I can dwell on my mistakes when, as a new creation, I should be looking at Jesus. Talk about having a low view on your, of yourself is when we so often we dwell on where we failed, where we've made mistakes instead of looking at Jesus. I think it's the same way as being a parent, isn't it? If I just point out the mistakes my kids made, I can have a great self-image of themselves and how much more I need to build my kids up than tear them down. Same way that God wants us to look at Jesus because those things I've made mistakes, those, those ways in which I've made mistakes, those things I've screwed up with, man, it's been forgiven. It's been forgotten. It's been taken care of by what Jesus has done. Isn't that an awesome thing? Finished. Jesus, God looks at me and he sees his son Jesus. And too often we dwell on those things, which is number two, by causing Christians to dwell and obsess on past sins that can't be undone. To dwell on past sins that can't be undone. This is one of the ways in which Satan schemes against us, accuses us. We dwell on the things we've done in the past. Well, God say, you know what? That is done. It's finished. It's been taken care of. Number three, by making Christians think that the troubles they are going through are punishments for their sins, right? We struggle, we, we, difficult things arise in our life, and we immediately think, oh, some way I'm failing, some way I'm not living up to God's standard. And again, we need to be reminded, right, it's finished. God has taken care of it in His Son, Jesus. And this whole, whole, identity in Christ, what we've been talking about in Ephesians, that I'm a new creation, that I am new. I'm no longer, as Nick talked about in one of our early weeks, I am no longer am what I once was, right? As I talked about in Ephesians 1, we are blessed. We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. We are adopted. We are new in Jesus, in Jesus. Fourth one, last one I'm going to leave you with is by making people think that the inner struggles and feelings you have, Christians shouldn't have. Right? We know until we're with Jesus, we're going to struggle, we're going to sin, we're going to make mistakes. It's reality. It's what we go through. There's no temptation not known to man. Right? Those struggles are going to happen. This is what, these are the tools, these are the schemes that our enemy 
has against us. You need to know we have a real enemy who has a real plan to destroy you. He, has a, he is scheming, he is planning, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you, he wants to destroy your family, he wants to destroy the church. He's got a plan to do it. The last thing is how. And I'm not done with the whole message here. I, I actually have like five pages of notes, so bear with me. We'll get through it though. How? I think the how is how do we battle this? First, you got to know you have a real enemy, and you got to know he's got a real plan to destroy you, and that we have to have a plan in place to combat that. And that goes back to who we are and our identity in Christ, understanding we are a new creation, understanding that sin and shame should no longer weigh us down, and God did not give us and make us a new creation and give us a new heart for the gospel just to rip it away and be torn by discouragement. We also don't minimize sin or evil, but we know that in Jesus, he disarms the principalities, the darkness, the rulers of this world. So for us, here's what we do. This is the encouragement, starting in verse 14. The first half, it dealt with our enemy and, and his strategies and his plans. This portion deals with our weapons and our strategies and our devices to fight this battle. It says this, Therefore, here's the solution, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Here's how we combat it. First thing he says is stand firm. Stand firm. This is something, and this is a statement that's made in battle. Hold your ground. Stand firm. We must understand uh, we're not on the sidelines in this. Whether you realize it or not, you are in the battle. There is a war wa- uh, that's, that's being waged against you, and you are part of it. The question is, how do we respond to it. What do we do? We stand firm. This is a verb. This this portion of what we do is standing firm, this portion of putting on the full armor of God. It's much like what, what Nick talked about, who we are and we no longer what we once were. It's much like what I talked about in Ephesians 1 of how we are blessed, that it's not a blessing that, that's coming, but we are blessed. The same way this is talking about that you have this armor of God. It has been put on. I think this is important because when the persecution or the attacks come, we've got to be prepared. We've got to be ready. Like I said, so many times I just kind of coast. Are you like that? Are you like me where you just kind of go through the motions, you kind of coast, you don't feel the attacks, you don't see them coming, your relationship with Jesus is not being deepened, you're not digging into the Word, you're not spending real time in prayer and communication with Him. It means we're not prepared. So when that arrow comes, we're not ready for it. See, if you begin to try to put on the full armor of God when that arrow's in the air, what's going to happen? 
in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> it happens by being prepared. Simon and I used to play a lot of risk, right, Simon? Uh, did you ever beat me? Yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you did either. <laughs> I'm trying to teach my son the game of risk, and I don't know if you played it. I love long, drawn-out games. All right, I think people just get bored to death, and that's how I win. So. I like Risk, trying to teach my son how to do it on the iPad, and so we're, we're playing Risk, and he just wants to go and, you know, do all these things. Take, I, son, you can't do that, right? You've got to fortify your army. You've got to have a defense set up, and then you can go out and try to fight that battle. But if there's no fortification, you're in trouble, because what are they going to do? They're going to come right in the back door and destroy you. And he's like, he doesn't care. He just kind of keeps going. Well, I'm going to start in Australia, or I'm going to start in South America. Has anybody played Risk in here? Because Yeah, okay, thank you. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to get fortified, and I'm going to build that army, and I'm going to build my strength, and then I'm going to go out. And I think that's the picture for us, is we've got to have that fortification. That, that, those things need to be in place before we step onto the battlefield. And this picture that Paul gives us of that full armor of God is exactly that that these things need to be in place right now. So when the battle comes, you know what, I've got those things. Those arrows are not penetrating. Because if we try to put it on, when the arrow's in the air, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So now, you know what, Kyle, yeah, you know what, things are pretty good right now. I don't feel the attacks. I don't feel the persecution. Life's going well. Now we fortify. Now we have these things in place. So here's what what we need to do. What does it mean to put on the full armor of God? One thing we need to understand is we need to remember that he's speaking to Christians. As he is in the entire book of Ephesians, he is speaking to Christians. So what he is telling us in this portion of putting on the full armor of God is things we, that are already true in our life. Okay, They are already true in our life. But so many times our issue and our struggle is we know them externally, but we don't believe them in, internally. They haven't penetrated our heart. They aren't at our core. So I know these things, and I understand them in my mind, but they haven't become a part of who I am. And when they become a part of who I am, those arrows, that battle, that war going on, it's like I have a natural reaction. When it's at my core, when it's who I am in Christ, I'm ready. I'm ready for that battle. But when they're just thoughts and, okay, this abstract idea of what I am or what I'm supposed to do, they haven't penetrated my heart, they aren't at my core, I'm not prepared when they come. And believe me, they, they will come. They will come. So it's this idea of taking what is already true in our life, taking the external and having it become an internal, at the center of our heart. So not just that we know it, but that we respond instinctively because it's become a part of who we are. Last portion here. How? How do you actually do, how do you actually respond? It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Stand firm with the belt of true, truth buckled around your waist. I think this is, if you read through here, there are about seven different things when he's talking about this armor of God. I think the belt of truth is kind of the foundational 
idea. Foundational principle. In the Greek, it's basically, it's a thick leather sheath, all right? So it's not actually like a belt, but it's a thick leather sheath that goes under everything. You know, not a woman, but it'd be like a slip. It's difficult, you're talking about this manly war you're, you're waging, and then you talk about a slip. But, all right, it's this idea that under this armor, okay, this, this thick leather sheath is there. It's the foundation. Before anything else goes on, the belt of truth, the underlining foundation. Again, it's what's at our center, this truth at our center, at our core. So before all these other things take place, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It's our core. It's the center. It's who we are. And then I think we move into the other things, this breastplate of righteousness. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, we could spend weeks. We could take each one of these seven, and we could have a message on each one, couldn't we? And I would encourage you, like we've done in the entire book of Ephesians, you need to go back, you need to study, you need to understand. But if I spent as much time as I should on each one of these, Iowa State game would be come and gone, and I don't want that. Uh, that stunk about George, didn't it? Sorry, I'm still a little depressed on that. But All right, so with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the first thing we see is the breastplate of righteousness. If you are going to be hit with an arrow, there are certain parts of your body where you may survive, right? But if an arrow hits you in the heart, what's sure to happen? Any, any guesses? You're going to die, all right? We can do a demonstration if we want to. If an arrow hits you in the heart, you're going to die. The breastplate of righteousness, to guard your heart. Proverbs talks about it. Guard your heart. Why? Because that is the center. It is the center. It is your core. And if you don't guard your heart, if you don't protect your heart, you're going to be destroyed. The enemy, where does he attack us? Where do his lies penetrate us? They penetrate us at our heart. This is where he attacks us. You need to guard your heart, the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with you are your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Shoes, right? All kinds of terrain, all kinds of things going on. We have the right equipment to fight the battle. The next one's shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all those flaming arrows, to be grounded on our faith and our belief. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I love these last two. Listen to this. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all God's people. Here's the bottom line. Throw that next slide up. Bible and prayer. That's how he ends it. Aren't these the most basic principles for us? If you want to stand firm to put on the full armor of God, be ready for the schemes and the plan that the enemy has for us, that's where it is. Bible and prayer. And so individually, we look at our lives, and if we're ready for the schemes, we spend time in his word. 
Are we spending time understanding the truths of Scripture about who we are, our identity in Christ, what He has done for us, the things He wants to do in my life? Do we spend time in communicating with Him in prayer? Kyle, I want to grow. Kyle, I want to be ready for the enemy. What, what are the things I'm supposed to do? Right? Doesn't it come back to this? Bible and prayer. And so on an individual level, I, I would ask myself, Am I spending time in the Word? Am I spending time studying and reading and understanding the truth that God is telling me? And prayer. Spending time talking with Him. Communicating with Him. Hard to have a relationship with somebody if I don't communicate, isn't it? Right? Your spouse, you walk home, you never talk. Go your, your other direction. Is there going to be a deepening relationship with your spouse? Not going to happen. Bible and prayer, individually. The next level would be, you know, on an accountability basis. Are you getting together with other people? Are you finding time to be with other people to study the Word of God, to challenge each other in the Word of God, and also to pray for one another? That's how he ends it. We need to pray for one another. We were reminded of that when Tim was talking about prayer. Pray for one another. It's great that we pray for our own needs, but what Paul and what we see in Paul's life, when you look at the prayer of Paul's, he's always praying for others that they may experience God and God's work in their life. I mean, that's, that's a selfless heart, right? The kind of people God desires, people who are thinking of others, praying for other people. And then obviously the, the last level would be here at the church. Studying the Word and prayer. God has given the church as an instrument for your life. And you as individuals need to be plugged in. Find ways to be plugged in for accountability, for deepening your relationship and deepening your understanding of who God is through the Scripture and what He's done for us through His Son Jesus. Church, be plugged in. It comes down to this, Bible and prayer. I'm going to ask Nick and, and the band to come back up, and we're going to think and, and dwell on Jesus, and rightfully so. When, when the nation of Israel was, especially during Jesus' time, and even his disciples, understanding and, and who Jesus was, they, they had this picture of Jesus as one who was going to come and conquer, right? You think of this battle that's being fought, and their picture of the coming Messiah was one who was going to go to fight, who was going to go to battle, and there was going to be a great war waged. And so they had this picture under Roman oppression that Jesus was going to come back, and he was going to fight that battle, and they were going to be free. Jesus didn't come back like that, did he? For us, we want to have the heart like Jesus. And as Jesus, even there at the end when he's arrested, right, Peter pulls out his sword, ready to go to battle, chops off the guy's ear. What does Jesus tell him? Put the sword away. See, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the principalities and the darkness and the ruler of this world a real enemy. 
If Jesus had come back and defeated Rome, it wouldn't change the hearts of men. But what Jesus was after when he came, he was after the hearts of men. He was after your heart. He was here to capture your heart. This is why Jesus came. I, I was reading even this morning, there was a guy in Kenya who broke into a church and killed three people, right? Marches into a church, kills three people. It's a sad story about the church being persecuted. But we're reminded, you know what? Our, our battle is not against that guy that, that came into the church. See, Jesus came to die for that guy, just like Jesus came to die for you. And although there are people that oppose the church, there are people that oppose Jesus, our battle's not against them. We have an enemy. Our enemy is the, the king of lies, Satan. And instead, we're like Jesus. Jesus came, and even on the cross said, hey, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do, as he was being murdered by them, by us. We need to pray for our enemies, and we need to understand who our battle is really against. Not against flesh and blood, but we have an enemy who's prowling like a lion looking to seek and destroy. And we need to remember the Son of Man. We need to look upon Jesus. We need to understand our identity in Christ. And we put on this full armor, man, Jesus has already done it for us. Jesus has already given these things to us by going to the cross. We are a new creation. We have a new identity in Jesus. Hope you know that. And as we continue to worship this morning, we want to reflect on that. The Son of Man, He came to serve. He gave His life as a ransom for many. He died. He went to battle. He hung on the cross for you. That you may be a new creation. That you may have a new life. So let's worship him this morning. Let's remember what he has done for us. As we take the bread and the juice, let us celebrate. Celebrate that we're a new creation. We have a new life. And let us remember Jesus and dwell on Jesus. And as we finish up on Ephesians and study it, know it, but most of all, grasp that you have a new identity. You are a new person. You are a new creation. You've been given a new heart. In Jesus. In Jesus. This is where it's at, isn't it? Let's pray. God, uh, we want to be reminded we have an enemy and not to take it lightly. God, we know that if we take it lightly and we are not ready for battle, he will destroy. God, even now, help us to fortify in our lives. Help us to dive into Scripture, to read Scripture, to understand who you are and what you've done for us in your Son, Jesus. God, help us to, to put on this, this truth. God, help us to know the Word. Help us to pray, not only to be prepared for the battle, but pray for our brothers and our sisters and our family here that they too may be prepared for the battle. But God, most importantly, help us to know who we are in Jesus. Help us to know that we are blessed, 
that we are a new creation, that we are no longer what we once are, were, but we have a new identity in Jesus, adopted, forgiven, redeemed. God, we thank you for this. And as we worship you this morning, as we sing to you and about you this morning, help us to remember Jesus. Help us to dwell on what he has done and what you are doing in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read uh, Paul's words here and, and a great prayer for us as we leave. It says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Let's pray. God, may we be alert. May we be ready. May we pray for each other that we may put on this full armor of God. Be ready for this battle. God, as, as we leave here, help us to fearlessly proclaim the gospel. As our mission says, to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with you. God, we want to be people about your work. We want to be people prepared so when the arrows come, we are ready for the battle. Help us to pray for one another, encourage and challenge one another, and to put on this full armor. We pray and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming.